uh, change of plans. My podcasting partner in crime, Alex Johnson, and I were supposed to be celebrating our one-year anniversary, uh, but he's been snowed in in Montana. So thankfully, there's no shortage of great fintech thinkers wandering around Las Vegas right now. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by Matt from Lithic, uh, Charles Potts, the Chief Innovation Officer at the Independent Community Bankers of America, and Julio Gomez, Industry Evangelist at Highnote. Uh, for listeners, both in the recording and the folks sitting outside, uh, who may not know you, can you each give a brief intro to yourself and your company? And let's kick it off with Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Matt. I uh, go by Regulatory Nerd on Twitter, and I love building fintech products. I I've uh, worked at a whole bunch of different places, so moved out to Silicon Valley in about 2014, worked at Square, worked at Stripe, worked at Bluevine, helped them stand up their PPP loan program. And I was really captivated by what Lithic was doing in their API offering, so I decided to hop back to the infrastructure side, and now that's where I'm at. Great. This is uh, Julio Gomez. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we're really happy to wish you a happy anniversary, you and Alex, yeah. <laughs> and also to congratulate uh, Alex on being snowed in in Montana. That's not the worst thing that could happen to a person. Right. So uh, I'm uh, industry evangelist at High Note, and uh, we're the most modern card issuing platform, cloud native, uh, API driven, you know, it's all APIs these days, right? But ours is a GraphQL API, which we are very fond of and gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of things that we're doing. Uh, we're working very hard to enable, you know, every single possible use case of embedded finance. Uh, and it requires a really flexible, robust platform to do that. We've got a dream team led by John McElwain and uh, Ken Key helping us do that. So excited to be at here at Money 2020, exchanging views with thought leaders and other uh, innovators uh, in fintech. Awesome. Well, I kind of like the uh, synergy here. So uh, I'm Charles Potts, the Chief Innovation Officer at the ICBA, and we're the you know we're the advocacy lobbying firm for the community banks here in the United States. And um, I, I I also kind of refer to myself as an evangelist because I'm the reformed banker who found myself uh, building tech companies and working for lots of them. Um, over the years, and now I get to sit at this really cool intersection and evangelize all the great work that fintech companies and banks are doing together and how we can uh, you know, really help use things, even like this podcast, to better educate the market and, and the people out there that we're serving and, uh, and uh, I, I consider myself a little bit of a nerd as well. I was, the, uh, I was Mikey in the checks commercial when I was at the bank, so give it nice. to Charles and let him figure it out. So. This is, uh, this is fun. And thank you again, Jason. Um, unfortunately, Alex, uh, thank you for giving us the chance to do this as well. Thank you guys for filling in on short notice. Uh, since this is Monday morning, uh, we're going to do a fintech precap instead of a fintech recap. Um, but before we do that, you know, a lot has changed since I was in Vegas this time last year for Money 2020. Thinking about the last 12 months, you know, both at a sort of macroeconomic level, but as well, you know, also the industry that we're in, fintech, banking, community banking, um, what has been the most impactful change you've noticed or that has impacted your realm in the last year? Why don't we start with you, Charles? Ooh, okay. Um, me, I have some ideas. Let me, let me, let me put about. the advocacy hat off to the side a little bit, and we'll let, um, 
we'll let Matt get into more of the regulatory stuff. But Love the it. but the reality is that um, what we've seen last year, and we can talk about crypto winter and all the other things that um, the regulators are paying attention to, um, is really I think a culmination of post pandemic. <sighs> this buildup of just some massive technology adoption out there, this this rush to market for a lot of solution providers out there. And um, and now we're kind of sorting out the, the wheat and the chaff right now. I mean, I think the industry as a whole that we serve, especially through the lens here in the U.S., um, is now trying to make sense of some of these thousands of shiny object fintechs out there and, and um who are going to be viable and who are going to survive and who are really the uh, the solid partners um, in this equation going forward. Julio? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all going to echo some of those sentiments, frankly. Uh, you know, a lot has changed just from the economics of uh, the it, that are that the environment uh, resides in, that affect the environment, I should say. Uh, mentioning crypto, I think that... You know, last year, uh, I remember how dominant crypto was in walking these halls. And I, exactly. I grabbed a T-shirt that I couldn't resist from one of the companies that said, crypto, no, it said, Bitcoin is the way. You know, I love wearing that on the beach, <laughs> funny. you know. Um, I don't think uh, that T-shirt's going to be handed out this year. Um, and it's, but the interesting thing is that the underlying value of uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies continue. The, everything that drove the uh, the irrational exuberance about crypto is still there. It's just come down to earth, right? So I think that that that's one uh, big important thing to to note. The other thing is that also based on the economics that are affecting the environment, uh, a lot has been discussed about bank and fintech partnerships over the past year, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that is really going to, I believe, is going to start to pick up some real steam in terms of meaningful uh, engagement uh, because some of these firms are going to need big partners. Right. Okay. So, uh, and we will probably get into those types of things as we move on in this session, but those are two big things that I've noticed. You know, I, I would say the big thing that's kind of top of mind, I think that I'm seeing lately is rolling with the punches. And I think you can kind of see a trend. We, we talked about crypto winter. Obviously, there's been a, a freeze, I think, in the VC funding markets. And it seems like maybe the seed market's thawing a little bit. But, you know, from generally what I'm hearing, it's dirty term sheets. If folks are raising right now, things right. like ratchets or liquidation preferences or things, things that really disadvantage insiders or early uh, investors um, and make it harder for those companies to kind of operate. So that's one example of rolling with the punches. The other big one that I think we're all seeing kind of play out is this tightening on the regulatory side. So I think regulators are finally catching up and they're understanding what vast providers, what folks kind of playing in that space are doing. And in my view, it's not that different from the traditional prepaid uh, setup that's out there. Like Blackhawk's been operating for a very, very long time. Um, but if you take a look at it, there hasn't been a ton of oversight and there hasn't been a ton of scrutiny kind of in that space. And I think now you're starting to see that, particularly I think the OCC is kicking it off. But my understanding is, you know, if, if you look around the industry, there's a couple of key banks that are starting to get kind of shook out during the exam cycle. Most of it's AML focused. So folks are right. listening and they're like, oh my God, how do we stay ahead of this? Onboard people properly, verify, do KYC, make sure you're doing transaction monitoring, work with your bank's compliance team, really are the key things. But as we see, there's instability kind of across the ecosystem right now. And I know we're seeing this at Lithic because we see our regulator give a bank a cold, the BAS provider gets sick, and then we have customers coming to us. And so it's been really interesting to see that. I'm sure high note, you guys are seeing the same thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, it's, it's um, a very similar 
sequence that we saw even in the mid yeah. to late 90s with the emergence of internet banking and dot com, right? The pendulum swings really hard one way, everybody rushes in, there's yeah. all of this fervor and all this yeah. frothiness that happens. The regulators being naturally the way they operate in a calendar year mm. um, are playing catch up. And then we kind of have the dot com. Uh, boom and bust, and then the regulators come back in. The pendulum swings the other way. We get some, you know, some containment. And I think we're going through that same natural cycle again, yep. um, as they're all trying to figure out, okay, what what happened. I yeah. think that's right. I mean, if I think of some of the themes that were really resonating last year, crypto everywhere. I was kind of surprised. It felt like maybe a third of the exhibitors were crypto mm-hmm. crypto related. Uh, and, you know, if I had heard the phrase picks and shovels one more time last year, <laughs> I think my head might have exploded. But I mean, I think that was kind of a representative of the excitement about the quote unquote infrastructure space, including yep. things like banking as a service, modern uh, issuer processors. And now we are seeing a bit of temperance to that excitement. I mean, I think, you know, last year I did not notice nearly as many uh, current and former regulators running around the conference. Maybe that was owing to you know, travel restrictions and, and COVID yeah. and whatnot, but there's uh, quite a few guys in suits uh, that work for the government here I, this year. I, I think you could say this, this is the money 2020 of the, of the regulator coming out because uh, I've already funny. I've already sat through several sessions yesterday and, and you know, former regulators, yeah. regulatory nerds, um, they're, they're definitely uh, present here. I mean, that's a great segue to you know, asking about what themes and topics are top of mind for you this year, and, and why don't we start with you, Charles? Yeah, and uh, and building on this, I mean, look, look there's um, uh, you know, there, there's there's clearly um, this intertwining of regulatory and compliance, and and the KYC, KYB, BSA, AML, all the things that we need to be doing on the front end as we're building these businesses. And this uh, this very important intersection, and um, and one thing that I think is uh, is becoming abundantly clear from a lot of the banks that we represent is the the demand that a lot of these fintechs raise raise their game. Yeah. Um, I mean, go out and and invest in regulatory nerds, build out um, their own compliance and risk management teams at at, at a at a greater depth than. I think we've ever seen before. I mean, is that consistent with uh, what you guys are seeing, Matt? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, I think one of the things we're seeing is it's easier to be choosier about your customers because um, there aren't as many places necessarily for them to go. There's still, I think, a really intense market pull. And so I think it's, as I'm thinking about the next 12 months, I think for us at Lithic, it's still riding that market pull mm-hmm. where people want cards. And I think part of that's driven by the fact that in this environment, you need to drive revenue. So it's not enough to just add a cool feature. Cards actually can bring revenue as well. And so you're seeing people, I think, kind of gravitate towards that or they're looking at ways of, hey, how can I do this? Or how can I turn a cost, right, an ACH rail into a card rail, right? Instead, kind of drive some of those things, which I think is really fascinating. I think for, for us, honestly, it'll be riding the next 12 months um, of that market pull. And, you know, it's going through hypergrowth is my third time going through it. It's, it's always fascinating because it feels like you're kind of holding on for dear life and you blink and you're like, oh my God, we built this amazing company. Um, and I'm sure at High Note, you guys are seeing the same thing. So, Yeah, so uh, I think it's very interesting what's going on in terms of uh, firms that have payments 
as part of their solution to customers, recognizing that, you know, that's really not their bag. They are software developers and not payments companies, exactly. right? And so um, we're seeing that uh, folks in the uh, accounts payable automation space and the spend management space, they're really best at delivering delightful customer experiences yeah. to the finance organization. Uh, and they're much better off partnering with someone that's a payments expert. Right. And so we're at, we at High Note are beneficiaries of that trend. And I would say that um, the other interesting thing that now the challenge that we have to rise up for too is uh, the fact that just offering them a, vir a virtual card option or a card option is not enough. Not we enough. really have to be a comprehensive payments platform mm. for them in order to really make the completion of the cycle, the, the procure to pay cycle yeah. and spend management function. Right. So, so, so that's that, uh, in terms of, you know, things and trends and, uh, aside from the, the regulatory piece, one of the things that I've, that I've noticed is that there has been a proliferation of companies that leverage data, Mm -hmm. to enhance customer experience and things like onboarding. And then hand-in-hand hand with that are the authentication and identity verification companies. Like those two things, like new data sources that help you be a better lender or mm -hmm. provide uh, or, or onboard people faster or, uh, or improve customer experience or enhance your, 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 your solution set. Those companies are getting a lot of investment and seeing traction in the marketplace. And then again, the, uh, the identity verification and authentication firms are, are right there too. And I think we'll, we'll see those as we, as we start to walk around the halls here. Well, I, I like what you said, because one of the things that um, I, I think is important to recognize as a lot of institutions, whether it's, it's on the bank side or on the, on the FinTech technology side, they, they have a, a great opportunity to move faster Right, to leverage the technology that can create a more frictionless environment. Because let's face it, the consumer or the small business customer, um, it, it, you know, demands that you know that things move faster and um, are more convenient. And this is a this is a really good time. I mean, we're seeing a number of banks you know, that, that we represent that are using this to improve and transform yeah. that inf instru infrastructure that, uh, and take advantage of that. That, that, that that's, that's actually a really interesting segue to another trend I think we're seeing, which is the networks are moving faster than the enablers built on the networks, especially right. the older legacy companies. If you take a look at the infrastructure companies, FIS or others, you know, somebody like one of the large networks comes out and says, we're launching this new program. Maybe it's buy now, pay later, or maybe it's right. something for crypto. And if you go to those legacy players and say, hey, when is, when is this coming to us? When can we access it? The answer is 18 months from now. Right. So if you want access to it, you have to go to more modern provider of those things. You have to find the right type, type of folks. I think there's also a lot of vaporware still out there. So that's another interesting thing for customers. Sometimes you see some of the folks get out over their skis over what they're selling. And it doesn't it just isn't, isn't there yet. It's not a thing, which is interesting. So I think figuring that out in the next 12 months will be tough. And part of that will be at the trade show while we're yeah. here. Well, I mean, Charles, one of the points you made, sort of the analogy to early era of the web of an explosion mm -hmm. and then sort of a call it shakeout or mm -hmm. maturation. I think that is a point where we are in the cycle. With Absolutely. A lot of the tech that we've seen, uh, you know, get funded over the course of the last 24, 36 months. And it's not the first time. No. I mean, I'm, no. you know, sadly old enough uh, that I've been around for 
you know, the lending club, cycles. you know, lending club, Prosper, Avant, right. the sort of first wave of lending club's still here, <laughs> but it's a very different business. That's a bank. Well. It's a bank now. <laughs> yeah. Very different business than than it was in you know 2015, yeah. 2016, and that's not to say that this is a bad thing, right? Well, capital, it, you know, capital right sizing. In. Look, I mean, yeah. the, the reality is we're right sizing the market when 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 capital's tightening up, the VCs are getting a little bit more discriminate, you know. Uh, the B, C, D, E, F rounds are yep. getting, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, uh, diligent. Um, it, it, there's going to be some transformation and some shakeout in, in a number of these companies. Any specific sectors that, that you're paying attention to in that regard? Well, look, uh, you know, there, there's, there are more than enough um, debit card based mobile applications out there, what you call them a neobank, a challenger bank, um, that they need to move beyond that, yeah. right? They, they need to get into full service banking. Um, they need to get away from the one trick pony. And, and while their UI UX is amazing, um, the financial services are, are uh, you know, incomplete. And so the, I, I mean, I, I think for um, a lot of companies, this is gonna be an interesting M&A wave. Yeah. Um, that's coming um, and putting a number of these platforms and players together to build out a more robust offering. I, Car- oh, oh, sorry. Go for it. No, I, no, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, that's really, I think going to be the dominant uh, d- dynamic over the next year is sorting all that out. Uh, there are companies that, as you say, they have magnificent uh, cu- uh, customer experience, but they don't have enough runway. <laughs> they just right. don't. To, and um, and uh, financiers really are uh, thinking, you know, I can't afford to have this company just, you know, chase a dream uh, when we have, you know, big bank over here that could really use these capabilities exactly. right now. So I think you're going to start to see some M&A in that respect, not just in, exactly. on, on two fronts, right? Yep. Uh, consolidating Private amongst themselves, yep, and then and then you know top down sort of acquisitions. You know, you made reference to the dot com uh, stuff and online brokerage. You know, I was there, yeah. had the front seat to that, yeah. right? And um, and it's very interesting that you know I had a ranking, the Gomez rankings of the online brokerage right. and other others. Uh, that was kind of a big deal at the time. So uh, all of the companies that we ranked, I'll, I'll list them for you, right? They're like K Offhauser, National Discount Brokers, you know, uh, series, you know, they don't exist exactly. anymore, but they do exist. Their what they was, are is exactly. they were subsumed by another player, yep. you know, and so uh, I think we're going to see that here as well. Yeah. Well, we have to. One, one trend that I'm excited to see, and I think it feels like we're getting close, maybe we're possibly 24 to 36 months away from it, is one of these fintech neobank companies is going to actually become a bank. I actually think there's like a few of them. And one of the things that's gotten me really excited, you know, I worked at Capital One um, coming out of the last downturn and we bought ING Direct. And so, you know, getting to see the, the history of Capital One from the inside, right, where they started as Signet. They started as a fintech partner right. to Signet, mm-hmm. right? And then they developed this underwriting model, rode that, got their bank charter, et cetera. I'm seeing parallels with a couple of companies out there now. And obviously having an underwriting model, having good lending, right, especially in like a niche space, like small business lending, I think could be a really interesting way to ride and build the next Capital One-esque type bank, right? And just keep riding that scale and kind of, you know, compounding it over time. But there's also, I think, a space for folks to build the next ING Direct, yeah. right? And obviously, I mean, Marcus has shown that, right, with how much, um, how much they've been able to suck in, right, just off of high yield. 
uh, and just advertising that it would, it would being feature light. But, but like then obviously yeah. they get rolled back in yeah. to Goldman yeah. because they need to be a full service suite of financial yeah. products. Well, they that, can't just be and that, that thing. That's where I think at Goldman that makes sense because you have other people driving that and pushing to say, hey, this needs to be in service of something else. Right. We have other investment opportunities that are more compelling than just building Marcus. So we want to drive it or feed it back into one of these other veins and also reorg so it makes sense in the New York. I think some of these standalone neobanks have a really interesting opportunity where they've attracted a big a big deposit base in theory. Right. It's not theirs yet, right? They can't like play with it, but it's but it's out there. And I think seeing one of them go get a bank charter could be really fascinating because I think they could build a next Capital One-esque type entity and they could ride it for 20, 30 years and really compound Somebody's it. Somebody's got to make loans. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> well, exactly. And you need to Do have, they though? You, you need to have uh, customers, users who are credit worthy and are going to pay you yeah. back. You know, we right. don't have uh, a ton of data because to your point, Matt, you know, most of these... Uh, Companies, you know, banks are not, in fact, banks, yeah. you know, nor are they public. So, you know, Chime, for instance, you know, there's virtually no data. I've looked, believe me, uh, beyond a snippet in a press release here yeah. or there. Um, Vero, which did get its bank charter, you know, I would argue that it's not really been uh, accretive to their business model, yeah. given the customer base that they're serving. Based on what you can see in the call reports, uh, the credit quality of the very yeah. little lending they do is not good. Um, you know, the deposit base is there, but small. I think it's an average of like $38 per yeah. uh, account, right. uh, again, based on what is in the call report. So I think I think the opportunity is there. The caveat is it needs to be a consumer segment where having that charter actually makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of these neobanks that exist now, the Chime, the Vero, at least at with what we know now, it doesn't look like it makes a lot of sense. Well, this yeah. is the underpinning a little bit of what Julio said, is that you you got good tech and you got good, well-run businesses, and you may not have both together at the same time. That's so, right. So something's got to give. Yeah, and it may be well-run, but just not, just the wrong business model. That's, yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, Matt, is there a specific uh, company that you have in mind where you think getting the charter would be transformational on that path to becoming a Capital One-like business? Yeah, so I think as I look out and I see kind of two, I think so I think Chime would be really interesting, but I think their valuation is too high. So they're going to have to undergo, somebody will be upset. It'll be the latest investor rounds or it'll be the employees that are insiders. And there's going to have to be a restructuring of that business if they want a bank charter, because I think, what are they valued at, 35 billion or something like that? Or there's something really high that they wouldn't get if they had that banking multiple instead. Um, you know, as, as I look out and I think kind of like, what are the parallels? I think ha having worked at Bluevine and, and seeing what they did there, their underwriting model was really special. Yeah. And to be able to underwrite SMBs like that and survive, right? Yeah. We saw Cabbage and um, on deck. Uh, on deck. On that's deck. right. Both both have to sell during that period, you know. And Bluevine survived and then thrived because of the revenue coming off of the PPP program. And now they have the opportunity to use that, you know, customer Rolodex that they acquired because folks came to them for, for PPP loans to get into an actual banking product. Right. They're someone where they're cobbled together now across multiple different banks and state licenses and things like that. Getting a charter makes sense, especially because of the lending business to drive the extra revenue on that interest side. Um, I think H.M. Bradley would be I'd love to see Zach get a bank charter because I think like where he's run into issues, he's grown really fast and the banks don't know what to do with him. Mm -hmm. And I think if he had the banking charter, he'd have more freedom to do things. And he strikes me that some of the stuff I've heard is they're doing a lot of really interesting things around managing 
you know, what do they do with the deposits that they bring in and working with the banks to find good investment opportunities, which strikes me like they're effectively almost at the business of banking. They're just intermediating it through somebody who has the charter. So it's like, I, I'd love to see Zach take the next step as I think HM Bradley would be really special. That's interesting. I mean, I think when I think of where the, you know, fintech industry is broadly today, yeah. I like to delineate between financial services businesses that happen to use technology, yeah. which tend to over time have financial services-esque multiples. You saw that happen with Lending Club, with OnDeck, yeah. post-IPO, versus technology companies that sell to financial services businesses. And that might be something more like a, you know, an Alloy or a Jumio or a Plaid, yeah. where you know, their revenue is not being derived from the business of banking, from payments, from net interest margin, and so on. Um, kind of like picks and shovels. <laughs> well, but, but but also, and you know, this is where we kind of sit um, uh, and spend a lot of our time, especially yeah. like with our Think Tech Accelerator programs. There's that there, there's still a great need and demand for infrastructure technology companies, back office improvements, yeah. uh, efficiencies. Uh, making the financial services industry um, more effective and efficient in, in the way it runs. And so a lot of these companies um, now give, uh, you know, we were talking earlier that some of the legacy players, you know, are too slow to move. These new companies give our banks the ability to create their own kind of bespoke solution and yeah. move a whole lot faster to meet the demands of what's happening in the marketplace around them. Do you think part of achieving those efficiencies necessarily requires consolidation. So, I mean, we've seen, you know, a long wave, even predating online banking, et cetera, of declining number of banks, declining number of branches, different forces are driving that. Is consolidation necessary to achieve no. those efficiencies? Now, look, we, we have a big, I mean, the, this is the beauty of, of the U.S. banking system. It is massively uh, fragmented around lots of interesting niches, right? 350 yeah. million people, you know, some 8 million businesses and lots of, of vertical niches. I mean, and the, the fact is a lot of these fintech neobanks came about to address yeah. what, frankly, community banks have been doing since the beginning of time. I'm a bank for doctors and lawyers. I'm a small business lender. Yeah. I'm a bank for truckers. Uh, you know, so so I I think the technology allows financial institutions to actually get better mm-hmm. at serving whether it's the ag lenders or the small business lenders the things that they do really well. What we saw during PPP. Yeah. And that really tight community relationship that that sits intertwined with the tech. And I mean, you could make an argument that 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 sort of segmentation is true with the Chimes and the Veros Mm -hmm. as well. Unclear if the business model actually supports it longer term. I'm I'm a little skeptical there. But as far as like, okay, if, you know, Chase or Bank of America, you know, don't want these customers with $40 in their account at the end of the Mm -hmm. month and they design... Accounts De- that deprecation sort of, services. Yeah. They, they design <laughs> products that sort of disincentivize the, those users to stick around. Um, you know, there's there's value in serving a specific segment where you understand the needs, understand the community, and then you can design products, services, capabilities around it. The business model needs to be there, otherwise the That's company right. won't yep. be there. And, and let's be fair, it's not unique to the banking industry. I mean, in, businesses of all ki- kinds 
have to get really good at what they're really good at. Switching gears a little bit, uh, any panels that you guys are particularly looking forward to? I know you didn't have time to, to do your homework the way I did, but lots of interesting uh, people on stage, including you know tennis great Serena Williams this morning, which I missed because I was frantically printing this out. <laughs> um, but anyone you're looking forward to seeing either you know, on radio stage or... listeners out there, this is a really high tech. You can hear the paper <laughs> shuffle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what Rohit Chopra says, uh, tomorrow morning. And, um, I think we've, we've heard a lot about Michael Shue, right. And what he's been saying about the OCC and, and what they're driving on their side. And if you read some tea leaves, you can even see some folks from the OCC going to like the BPI or clearinghouse conferences where they were also speaking on these topics as well. Um, but I feel like we haven't necessarily seen a ton from the CFPB on this. They're working on it, right? I've had some conversations with some folks over there. And they, um, you know, they they have been exploring the bath space and credit card as a service space, um, you know. And I think to tie back to Charles's point, if those companies aren't staffing up on legal and regulatory and aren't making sure that they have a clean house, they better, yeah. um, you know. And and, and 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 that isn't to say that they're out looking for blood, but they're definitely looking and thinking about our industry. Um, and so I'd be really curious to hear what he has to say tomorrow, right, to the industry because we're here. Right. right? That's an interesting point. I mean the. You know, the Blue Ridge decision, yeah. and you referenced this earlier, focused very heavily on BSL, BSA, yeah. AML compliance, staffing adequately for it, mm-hmm. you know, processes and so on. It didn't say anything about uh, sort of consumer protection, mm-hmm. UDAP. I mean, I come from, you know, a marketing background uh, where I did work with partner banks yeah. in some of my roles, and then, of course, at Goldman. And, you know, the review process if you're a third party working with a bank, uh, it's yeah. not the easiest yeah. when it comes to how you're running marketing programs and, and collateral and so on. Um, so yeah, I will also yeah. be curious to hear that how that goes. Charles? Yeah, um, I, I, I have found a couple of interesting presentations I'm gonna be sitting in on um, of companies that, um, how should I say this, are positioning themselves to be suppliers for um, <laughs> some some distress. Um, I think, you know, there, there's, a, there's some delinquency servicing solutions. There's some recovery solutions that are here. Um, I, I, I'm real interested in, um, in the people that are, um, that are building, um, you know, kind of the, the uh, safety net uh, a set of solutions to help people clean up what um, I, I think um, is going to happen with some of these um, some of these solution providers out there. That I mean, that's another interesting point. Talking about the sort of cyclicality of what you know what matters uh, over the last whatever two years with all of the pandemic related relief. You know, credit quality has been abnormally good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anyone who's paying attention, you know, knows that it's unlikely to stay that way. You know, employment has remained uh, robust for now, but yeah. with rising inflation. <laughs> Uh, interest rates and potential fear of a recession, uh, somebody needs to be there to try to collect and service those accounts. That's right. That's, that's also a very interesting point. Julio? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, another checkbox for Rohit Chopra yeah. because uh, you know, that one was circled on my agenda yep. uh, from, from day one. In this environment, I think that's a must-see TV, a must-see. as they say, exactly. right? We, we need to hear. And, and I doubt that he doesn't know that. You know, I'm pretty sure he knows that he is addressing the industry here and, and 
we will be hanging on every word. So that 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 for sure. The other one was uh, Bill Harris, who we saw last night. Actually, mm-hmm. I, you know, the OG goat legend of fintech. Um, it's always good to to see him. He's jogging out onto the stage, you know, and like, talking about you know, private moments with Steve Jobs and all that good stuff. Just very entertaining, and of course, uh, you know his his uh, his resume speaks for itself. But in many ways, I'm the wrong person to ask about what sessions um, <laughs> you uh, I'm looking forward to because I I tend to inevitably be disappointed. Um, by what I get, the signal to noise tends hater. to be yeah. hater. I'm a hater. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but I get tremendous value from the event. What I do, the way I spend my time, and this is not good for my back or my feet, but I go around to almost every one of these booths, yeah. and I ask them, "Tell me about your company." Right. And I walk away so enriched at the end of this week from that exercise yeah. and it, and I get way more out of that than sitting. now I will sit through that that's not to say that all the sessions aren't good on the contrary many of them can be good but I don't find that I get as much out of it as what uh, talking to people out here on the floor any specific companies you're looking forward to uh, interrogating on the floor besides Lithic <laughs> I'm gonna go are, see Lithic you guys here do you guys have any good swag? What do you have? I like that shirt. Uh, we have, well, thank you. I, I made these myself, so um, I was very excited. I, I have a lot of striped shirts, and I realized I need some lithic shirts, and our ours are, our, our um, uh, design team is still going on what they want our actual shirts to be, so I just grabbed the logo and did my own. Supply um, chain. That's, that we, blame it on the supply we, chain. We do have some cool swag, um, so if you stop by our booth and, and find our sales folks, you definitely can come uh, find it. But no, the, the shirts are a matte special. All right, I think we have like five more minutes. I want to do a quick round of 2023 predictions. When we're sitting in this Money Pot podcast booth this time next year, you know, what do you think is going to happen between now and then uh, of importance? Let's start with you, Charles. I believe we are going to be stunned by some private equity um, takeovers of some really large players um, in this space. Um, I, I think I, I think the private equity led M and A, the private equity, uh, some public companies being taken private. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's time. If you look at some of the really large valuations out there, yep. um, mm-hmm. they're going to have to start extracting and then start breaking up some of these companies. So I'm, I think this is going to be um, a, a deal makers uh, year this next uh, eighteen to twenty four months. I'm in the same camp. I think that uh, the biggest difference between today and a year from now is going to be what the landscape looks like in terms of you know the legal entities that are that are it, and and how they are combining uh, to to form you know more more viable and sustainable uh, players in the marketplace. Uh, I think we'll see one of the key providers, Bass or ACH providers, go bankrupt or have to shut down. Um, because I, I think a lot of these companies aren't watching their burn properly. I don't think they're well capitalized and I don't think they're as stable as a high note or a Lithic. So, you know, it, it, I think it, when we get here, it will be surprised at who it is, but it'll be somebody, somebody we've heard of. Somebody's probably here this year. I mean, I have two predictions. One uh, on the more happy side. You know, I think that we will see a bit of a thaw in the funding environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to your point, Matt, yeah. you know, from what I hear, the oh, sort I of earlier stages, you know, precede, seed. Um, you know, are able to get funding. Mm. The less happy one, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is you know I think that there's going to be a, a bit of a blowout in some of these specialty lenders that have been using yeah. un, you know less traditional underwriting. So 
untested, you know, cash flow based underwriting or other forms of alternative data where they haven't uh, managed risk through the cycle. You know, I think we're going to see uh, some pain in the portfolios of those companies. Um, and those are sort of, I guess, my two, two key predictions. I have one more prediction, yeah. which is that a year from today, what will be different from what will be different in a year than today is that Alex Johnson will be sitting in this chair yes. celebrating yeah. your second anniversary. Yeah, better, nice. I like that. Uh, to wrap it up, where can listeners find you guys on the internet if they want to follow you and learn more about you or the companies that you work for? Uh, Lithic.com is our company. We also run privacy.com, great virtual card offering direct to consumer. Uh, and I am at regulatory nerd on Twitter. Um, but these days it's the San Francisco housing post. So I apologize for folks. Highnoteplatform.com. Uh, Twitter at Julio Gomez and on LinkedIn slash Julio Gomez. And ICB.org and uh, Charles E. Potts on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Amazing. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time and filling in for Alex. It took three of you to uh, equal <laughs> those one shoes. of them. He has big feet. Um, and until next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.